If you don't mind, 97.3 FM radio in Toronto, and I'm in uh, Bluffers Park. No, I'm not. I'm in Thompson Park, (laughs) and it uh, has just started raining, so uh, that's okay. I'm uh, dressed for it. I'm in the parked car. I'm not going outside. But I am going to go grocery shopping, and I thought, oh, I'll just stop by the park first, because if I come to record a clip after I've gone grocery shopping, I'm going to be worried about all the frozen food, things that should be right back in the freezer, if I get any. But uh, anyway, so here we are. It is April 24th, a Monday morning still. I was determined to get this done, although it's 8.36. It'll be noon by the time I get there and start shopping. And, um, yeah, so here we are, start of another Dixon Jane's podcast, number 942. And by the time you're listening to this podcast, I'll be 75 years old. Yes, sirree. I don't talk about it on my Facebook page, but I don't mind on the uh, Dixon Jane's podcast sharing a little with you. Uh, That's tomorrow. And in celebration, I got an email from my cousin in Vancouver. I just talked about in the previous episode about cousin, uh, who I used to recall, uh, refer to as Cousin Zeke out in Russell. Well, this is Cousin Abe out on the West Coast. He actually lives on the Sunshine Coast. like a beautiful house overlooking this inlet. An absolutely gorgeous life. And he is somebody who has worked hard for it. was, is, I guess, still a lawyer, uh, working on human rights issues, in particular uh, refugees, has been called to train refugee judges in Europe, spent time in Rome doing that, and uh, Ireland, I think, and just somebody who's led a very successful life. And what's interesting is my other cousin out in Russell, um, well-educated, private boys' school, University of Toronto, could have uh, easily, well, not easy for him, but could have uh, had all the makings of somebody who could have led the life of uh, an executive on IBM where he worked for a while and chose to go the completely different route. And I find this so amazing that I've got two cousins roughly the same age. Um, Cousin Zeke is just a little bit older, one year. Um... But instead, regrouped himself, gave up on that life, and uh, went instead and worked in a mine. I've mentioned this before, a uranium mine, gold mine, Elliott Lake area, and um, saved up money and uh, studied at night, trained himself how to build a house, and built a house out in the outskirts of Russell, bought a one acre of of cornfield, flat land, which is now a forest with a beautiful little bungalow right smack in the middle, a huge garage for all kinds of projects, uh, but built that himself. And I remember distinctly driving out there down this dirt road and seeing him standing in this pit, in the foundation, in the hole in the ground. He built a little shed, which he camped under, where he could get out his drawings and all the things that he had to do. And actually, I mean, basically did almost all of this himself. Um, His brother, no longer with us, unfortunately, landed a helicopter there at one point to uh, check in on him. I checked in from time to time. And once the house was built, I actually lived there for a year when I was uh, working at a sheltered group home 
out in the, uh, I don't know, Oxford Mills area, out in the countryside. <sighs> so there's a story. That's the cousin out in Russell and the cousin out in uh, the West Coast. Led, <laughs> went in a different direction, you know, went in the direction. Maybe he, maybe they were both destined for these alternative lifestyles. Um, cousin Zeke's decidedly different. He, he, he works much of a social worker. He, he keeps in touch with all his childhood friends from Val d'Or, Quebec, the north where his father was a, a prospector and a school teacher and amongst other things, geologist. Um, so very interesting and, and I am very, very close to both of them and, and grateful to have these two people, uh, Dave, of course, Zeke showed up on the West coast, uh, where we reconnected. I was a bit in awe of him as a boy, maybe almost a little bit intimidated by him. He was big and strong and smart. <laughs> a lot of things I wasn't. And uh, then he showed up on the West Coast, and I then I discovered, oh, my God, he's a partier, a big time, and was immediate hit with all my friends. So to everybody, he became Cousin Dave. So um, it's a beautiful story, and, and it's one I celebrated. And as I say, just last week, I was there on a, on a Friday night, uh, just over a week ago, and reconnecting on, on, a, on a very deep and personal and close and intimate way, and it, it was quite wonderful. So then, yesterday, out of the blue, I get this email from uh, Cousin Abe telling me that if I go down to the uh, LCBO at Morningside and uh, Kingston Road, and if I can get there before they close at 8 and give them a certain code number, there'll be something waiting for me there. I don't know what, but I'm suspecting maybe a bottle of wine, maybe a bottle of scotch. Who knows? He was a scotch drinker. He was also president of the Spanish Wine Society in British Columbia and traveled to Spain and toured and was an excellent spokesman. So he's one of those people who can get out in front of a crowd and um, just present, do well. I mean, he, you know, he's, he's just quite amazing in that respect. And uh, anyway, so I answer him and say, wow, that's fantastic. Thank you very much, you know. He thinks yesterday is my birthday, the 23rd. It was not. So I um, I say, well, I'll tell you what, I'll go and check that out tomorrow. And then halfway through the email back thanking him, I said, no, I'm going to go and do that right now. i got time now. It's not 8 o'clock. So I show up at this LCBO. Bear with me. Telling a story here. <laughs> and... Um, Tell them what's up. And she says, oh, well, that gentleman there will help you. This man closes his cash, comes, sits at a computer, and uh, I read out the code, and he cannot find that. No, you don't have that. And I read it again, and he said, no, I'm sorry, but it's uh, it's not on the system. And so I repeat, is this store number 118 or whatever it was? Yeah, yeah, and this is the right location. He promised me, it says so right here, that if I show up, this will be ready waiting for me. Oh, I'm sorry, I, this, it's just not here. And Try the number again. No, no. And I get a little stubborn at this point. Look, I'll read it again. He said it would be here. Now, where does that number go? I mean, is there some system? Are, are you getting the information you need? Does it go to another warehouse or something for processing? Why can't I get it? He promised me. He said, well, what was it he ordered? And I said, I don't know. It's a surprise. It's my birthday. I don't know what he ordered. I just know that this is the number. It's under my name. He checked that. No, we got nothing. So I kind of dig in my heels a little. And I don't know if I'll have a car tomorrow. I really would like this thing. It's a special occasion. And uh, he said, well, I'll go and I'll check in the office. He goes into the office and, of course, comes back out. No, no, sorry. Meanwhile, the manager, who's a nice-looking woman, comes over and listens in. And she said, well, what, what is it that he got you? Maybe I'll check and see if we've got it in stock. And I said, well, I don't know. And I'm not ready to leave. She kind of looks, figures out the situation, and says, well, maybe if you give me his number, I'll phone him and find out what it was. 
And then you won't know. It'll still be a surprise, but I'll call them, not you. I'll call them. So I, I, I look them up. And of course, I got everything on my iPhone. Give her the number, two numbers, his personal and his cell and his uh, home phone. She goes into the office, takes quite a while, comes back out. And she says, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to get it. Here's, here's your cousin. And hands me the phone. This is in the LCBO. She hands me the, her cell phone, and I'm talking to my cousin, and I'm laughing. And he said, look, okay, um, here's the deal. Um, you pay, and I'll reimburse you. And so we both find that quite funny, that meanwhile, she's gone off in the store, and she comes back and calls me over to her cash. And it's a bottle of real champagne, uh, one of these pie, piper head sick or whatever. I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how, um, champagnes work. Piper hide sick, curve brut champagne. So it's got the real champagne name. I've never had that. I always get, uh, you know, these sparkling bubblies, uh, what do you call them? You know what I'm talking about. And they're always good enough. But he gets me that and a bottle of uh, Contini Reserva 2018, a very nice Rioja, Rioja from Spain, totaling $99.75, things that I would never normally buy. Um, and we laugh, and she, as a, will of, as, a, as a sign of goodwill, hands me this little, tiny little gift bottle for one drink of Canadian Club Rye. It says here, take that, mix it with a little ginger ale. That's from me. Thank you for your patience. And that was very nice of her and and made the gift all the more special. And by the time I got home, of course, there was already an email with my money in it. I said, tell you what, instead of me cashing that, why don't you keep that money when your birthday comes up next month and you turn 75, just like me, a month later, that you go and treat yourself to $100 worth of booze. And he said, no, 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 a thousand times. No, this is my gift to you. So I don't know how I'm going to handle uh, his birthday because I certainly feel obliged to do something. Uh, but I am grateful. Uh, this gentleman, of course, is a lot more well-off than I am and ever will be. And therefore, uh, I you know, think nothing of spending that amount of money on booze, but I certainly would. I think the wine, it's, or the champagne itself was $65 or something like that. Anyway, there you go. I've told my story. <laughs> and um, it's kind of a happy one. It's kind of a nice one. I still don't know when I'm going to drink it. And my wife is not fond at all of red wine, especially Spanish red wine. So I think I'm going to have that whole bottle to myself on some special occasion. I'm not sure which or when, but I will do that. And the champagne is something we can all enjoy together. So whether I do that tomorrow on my birthday or, uh, oops, or uh, some other time when it's more suitable, we'll uh, we'll decide. Just wanted to share that with you. Um, I guess while I'm here and we're talking and it's still raining, I'll do one more thing. Um, 9.43. Ah, gosh, do I want to get into this? Yeah, it was a news item. A black student lounge at uh, Toronto Metropolitan University and uh, UBC out in Vancouver is thinking, well, we might also do the same. Have a lounge just for black students or those who, to quote, identify as black. I didn't know that was a phrase you could use. I knew you could identify as trans or other things or he, she, they, we, you, he, him, her. Um, but you can also identify as black. Um, anyway, a black student lounge. And when they interviewed the students on the TV spot news item, they were quite happy about it. And they said, this is a place where we can just be ourselves. As soon as we stepped through that door and into the hallway of Toronto Metropolitan University or, or wherever, I imagine, um, we're black students. We're black again meaning other people identify them that way. And so in that sense, I can understand this, why they would want to be there. But again, it gets down to this identity politics. And you wonder, where do you draw the lines? Like surely these days with so much, you know, China, mainland China being the bad guy now, 
and stories of China, China trying to influence our elections and singling out politicians who may or may not have um, done things they shouldn't have. For example, agreed with the Chinese consulate that the Canadians should not be released from prison yet or uh, influenced elections and with money being accepted from maybe middlemen but Chinese sources. And so it's a hard time, I think, for a lot of people, politicians, but also others, you know, to be Chinese or Asian-looking and be suspected of, oh, you know, because people do that kind of thing. So do they need a lounge where they can be, okay, I'm just me, but of course where they would speak Mandarin or Cantonese. And would those two groups have to be separate or anybody from Taiwan or in support of Taiwan? Would you need a couple of different Chinese lounges so that they would not be spats between them? Uh, I don't know. And who else? And, And if it's only black, does this not single them out all the more and maybe make things worse? Like how many students who might have been on the borderline are going to think, why the fuck do they have a lounge? Why, why can't we? Why do they need a lounge? What what kind of group is just because they're black they get a lounge? So you know there's going to be mixed feelings. Um, I'm kind of I, I don't know what to think about this one. I just like the, I think these are important things to talk about, and that often people are afraid, or that certain people already tell you what your opinion has to be, without thinking about it. Just know this is right. Yes. Uh, and they'll tell you where you have to stand on things like how you need to feel about J.K. Rowling, for example, uh, Jordan Peterson, uh, people who have already been, uh, you know, cancelled, and therefore you better not stick up for them. So I don't know. I just think it's an interesting uh, topic and it's interesting that another university, UBC, would say, oh yeah, we're looking into that too. And um, I wonder if there are any black students who would dare, you know, speak out against it. Uh, I know that I still have some maybe not so ambiguous feelings about the fact that there was a prayer room in my building, the main teacher's building at uh, Centennial College when I taught there, Um, but it was very clear this was only for people because you had to take your shoes off at the door and there were mats and there was a curtain separating men from women. This was for Muslims to pray. This was really not for, this was not a common prayer room by any means. And you know that and don't, you, you can't go anywhere around because in the washroom right across from it at some great expense, which, you know, I'd be curious to know how much and who paid for it were special stations to wash your feet so that people no longer have to wash their feet in the toilet or in the sink. So I was not in favor of that at all. Why do we need a prayer room at a community college? And this was just, what what is the word? Um, there's, a, there's a word for that when you do things for people uh, out of you know respect or kindness or because we're a multicultural nation and we have to. Um, give in and and uh, make things right, like, you know, the days we take off for prayers and celebrations, accommodate. Accommodate, I believe, is the word. And I was not really in favor of that kind of accommodation, in particular when there was one instance when a teacher friend of mine came upstairs quite upset because there had been a sign. Not only was it only, you know, implied just for Muslim students, but only of the one type. It was either Shia or Shiite, I don't know which, but it was very clear from the sign that was posted outside the door that the other group was not welcome in this room. It was done in nasty words, and of course this fellow took it and gave it to the security, and I don't think anything ever happened. Somebody probably just threw it in the trash. I don't want to open up this can of worms. But uh, that was there, so that's good. And then... I cannot think or mention this without just thinking how kind it was. Just so for the person next door, for Eid Mubarak, to give our family a beautifully wrapped box of treats that were amazingly good. I mean, this wasn't just here some candies. This was really nice, special, uh, handcrafted 
white chocolate, uh, a couple of things in glass jars that were um, um, cheesecake and muffins and cupcakes and any number of other things that, boy, they got eaten pretty quickly between my son and I. Uh, That was such a, a beautiful, gracious gift. So I know I have to rethink the things I say about religions in general. And I guess if I could close off this topic, which I want to, so I can go shopping, um, it is only the people who are the fanatics. And this could be the Christian fanatics who want their rifles and want the Lord's Prayer in every classroom and every school in Texas. And the people who are right out there crazy, this is this is America's, you know, state religion and is Christian and these are the rules and this is what you do and you, uh, you know, cannot have abortions and you have to adhere to these rules, etc., etc. That and anybody who is a, clearly a fanatical Muslim who believes that uh, if you kill uh, non-believers or people who insult, insult the prophet that you will go to heaven and uh, meet all these uh, virgins, etc. Okay, so those people are out. But people who just, you know, like people who attend West Hill United are generally good people. And I'm sure the people who attend the mosque where this gentleman goes to my next door neighbor are probably good, kind, great citizens. And uh, therefore, tolerance is the key in this case. Scarborough Dude, signing off. Trying to be all things to all people. Is that right? Try not to appear like an old man fanatic, crazy lunatic out in the fringe full of hatred and bitterness because of the way he grew up. I don't want to be that person. My God. Signing off from uh, Thompson Park. Off I go to make a, um, what's tonight's recipe? It is going to be a a tuna casserole with egg noodles and some sour cream in there. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. I'm not using the uh, radio on the road trek because I told you one speaker or one channel is missing. So I've got the uh, stereo surround sound system on. I'm sitting in the front seat, facing back, feet up, wearing my slippers. How cozy it is. And uh, in the background, you may hear a bit of Electric Warrior. That is T-Rex. And... uh, I think it it reminds me of my days in Vancouver. Something it was a little bit exotic. Same way David Bowie was. Bought all his albums, and uh, somebody had this. And ooh, I gotta get that, Mark Bowen. So anyway, we'll just uh, leave that there. What have I got beside me? I've got beside me Margaret Atwood's "Old Babes in the Wood." Her collection of short stories, the new one that came out that I mentioned I got from the library. And I'm really enjoying it. There's such a range of stories here. Uh, Some had been published previously and then uh, a lot of others. And a lot of it was, uh, you know, the background is sort of uh, COVID and the isolation. And so there's a lot of new stuff there too. And uh, I, I think she is fantastic. So I hold her up with my other Canadian heroes, Joni Mitchell and... um, Leonard Cohen, and ah, I'll throw even Pierre Burton in there, and uh, others, you know. Although some would refer to Pierre Burton as a, a hack, a certain, uh, a certain group of uh, people might refer to that. So I won't even go near Marshall McLuhan. But anyway, it's um, it's a happy place right now. It's kind of a happy place, and the reason is it's my birthday. And I was just determined to, um, well, to make something of it. But I wasn't sure. I was feeling a little, you know, how people say happy birthday. Hope it's the best day ever. You know, have a great day. And you wonder, well, can I live up to that? Is that even possible? You know, is it really any different from any other day? And you want it to be. You want it to be. I wanted it to be. Um, So it got off to a good start. 
Um, it was, happened to be our men's group. And I didn't tell anybody. Nobody knew. So I kept that quiet, which is uncharacteristic. Usually I like to draw attention to myself. Um, I did anyway, you know. Uh, and, and it's welcomed. When I say that, I'm saying it, it's expected of me. Ken, we're counting on you to be a little outrageous. You know, I'll be the one who yells out a loud fuck during the meeting. And, and uh, that's, that's my place, you know. And uh, I get, for that, I get a nice warm pat on the shoulder. No, no, we like you being just the way you are, kind of thing. So it was a very good session. We It was a discussion. We had seen a video of a man telling a story of a near-death experience. And it was the a lot of the usual elements of the person, um, you know, losing. There was no time anymore. And there's this tunnel and there was this light beckoning him and coming to the light. And reliving his life and realizing he's going to meet all his, all these people, uh, you know, it was almost like a, a, an idea of heaven that he'll be coming to. And um, so, I, you know, I've read a lot of those stories, and my take was that it all happened to him. He experienced this for real in his brain. Uh, but it was no indication that there will be a, a life after death and, and you will gather under the light and become one with the light and so on, as he seemed to want to imply. Um, so I draw a line there. Yeah, it was a great experience. It was wonderful, and you felt it. And then, I, of course, I likened that to uh, John Lilly and his experiments with uh, sensory deprivation tanks and ketamine and how uh, it's easy to create experiences where your your mind leaves your body and visits on another plane or whatever and it seems very very real and uh, I did mention my own little short burst of astral travel back in the CN yards when I sort of woke up while my body was still sleeping and I'm sitting upright and getting a little scared because I know I'm free to leave my body and go anywhere but anyway, so me for a good discussion. There was about 11 of us there, and it's a range, a variety of people, all older gentlemen. Um, but good discussions, and everybody gives his bit, and, and I, I'm so glad I'm a member of this group. I mean, it's a real, it's a special thing. You know, I talk about meeting my friends at the Only Cafe over a few beer and having a good intimate conversation. Well, this is something we do monthly, and it's, it's we're all very comfortable with each other. It's not group therapy, uh, although there are therapists in that group, uh, but it is discussion of, of things to do, I guess, often of a spiritual nature, but often psychology, sometimes politics, and sometimes just the future of mankind or good books we've read and like to share. So it's it's... It's discussion, and it's a good two solid hours. Unfortunately, the person who chairs it um, is experienced enough to make sure everybody gets a chance to talk. So that was uh, that was just, you know, b- built into the birthday. And uh, then I was going to go, and I was going to go to Bluffers Park and, you know, get myself a coffee. And then I don't know. I'll just go home. There's lots of good snacks at home. Leftover... Um, Tuna casserole that I made last night, and so, no, go home and uh, be there and greet my son. And, um, yeah, so that's what I did. And then read a little, and uh, then decided, oh, where's my pussycat? I want to have some time with my pussycat. And she was up sleeping on the spare bed. And this... This is unusual for a cat that will come when I call her. doesn't come right away, but will come. And I convinced her. I couldn't pick her up anymore. I can't do that. I'd fall over. So I can't lift her up and carry her. So I just told her I was going to the other room, <laughs> to my bed, and, and going to lie down. And, and then I'd call her, Yuki, come on, Yuki. Come on, Yuki, and pat the bed. You know, Yuki, 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 come on, Yuki. And eventually she came and crawled right up to the pillow beside me and curled out and wanted me to hold her belly and make her feel comfortable. And and so uh, the next little part of the day was just uh, making my cat have the most wonderful day. And and boy, that was that's worth it. 
It's really worth it. So uh, that was wonderful. I've left her there, and I, I finally forget. Okay, now I can't end the day just napping. Um, short call for my wife to make sure I had ordered the sushi, which she'll pick up. So uh, the next step will be around 5 o'clock. Um, there'll be uh, a sushi maki tray, after which she's going to put a roast in the oven, and uh, there'll be a little bit of a roast beef dinner. And we've got that wonderful bottle of champagne. Now, I guess I told you that story. I, I honestly forget what I put in that first clip. Uh, but anyway, compliments of my uh, dear cousin. Yes, I talked about the cousins. So compliments of cousin Abe out on the West Coast. Uh, a very, very nice bottle of champagne chilling in the fridge. And uh, as for the roast beef, I'm not sure whether I'll open his very nice and pricey um, Spanish red or go for something else that may be more palatable for the rest of the family. So we'll see about that. Let's see what else I have in my little cellar. So, uh, and then the next step said, okay, now you've had your time with your cat. You've read two more Margaret Atwood stories, enjoyed them both. Uh, one of them very disturbing about um, hit, hit, who was the name, darn it? Uh, Hypnia a scholar from Alexandria who I guess everybody must have read about um, Hypatia of Alexandria Hypatia and it's entitled Death by Clamshell um, and so of course I googled it well, was this a real person and, oh yeah she sure was and it just opened me up to how how little knowledge I have when it comes to, you know, Roman history and, and, and there's so much in history. There'd be so much one could devote one's life to just studying. And of course that, for some of us, that wouldn't be a whole lot of fun. You want to have some of that, but you want to play too. And you, and you want to drink and you want to chill and you want to relax. So you can't just be all studying all the time. But it still did make me feel, oh my God, there is so much more uh, for some reason, that made me look up uh, Barbara Tuchman's book, uh, A Distant Mirror, about the 14th century, uh, which I read, or at least half of, and uh, I don't know if it's in my collection anymore or not. And I thought, well, why go there to the Middle Ages? Why not go back? It's just fascinating, anything about Roman history, to think so much of you know our Western world was covered by this a pretty brutal regime. This is like Hitler's Thousand Year Reich. You know, they, these were, this was they didn't play nice. You know, you want to keep power, you kill and you torture, and you massacre, and you rape, and you do all these horrible things. Gee, I think my wife just drove by my little Toyota. Yeah, it looks like. What time is it? That's so funny because she's got the Toyota because her car, I guess I told you, yeah, was wrecked. Uh, well, uh, they, they're working on it now. Or no, they're not working on it. The parts have been ordered. A new fender has been ordered and uh, it will be covered by insurance. So uh, she has the Toyota. Yeah, that's because I'm sitting in the road track so I can see my street, my trees, my neighbors, uh, her parked Mazda waiting for repairs. Oh, it's wonderful. And so I did the right thing by getting myself up off of bed because I could have easily dozed off for another nap. I, I, I'm good, very good at that. But to come in here, come into the road trek, talk to you, share a little bit of my day so far with you. But boy, am I ever looking forward to the opening opening the bubbly. Very, very much so. And, yeah. But coming out here and then choosing to use the the rear stereo system and finding something a little different. Uh, which is great, uh, T-Rex. Yeah, why not? This is a this is a part of who I am. So yeah, happy birthday, Ken. And uh, for those of you who said happy birthday, uh, <laughs> I don't allow it on my home page. And uh, you know, I I just think it's it's just that the internet reminds you. I, I what I want from people at any time, not necessarily birthday, is Ken really glad to have you as a friend. I was thinking about you the other day, and I thought, thank God I'm connected with Kim. 
And, you know, I'm seeing that while I'm wearing my Bob uh, T-shirt uh, in memory of Bob Goyetch. I thought, when I had to get up today, go to this men's meeting, I want to put on something special. Reached into my uh, drawer with all my T-shirts. Seems there's a lot of them missing. I don't know if my wife's been throwing them out or not. But anyway, that's the one I want for today, my Bob Goyetch T-shirt. And uh, today, which never happened before, but uh, one of our uh, members in our men's group brought in his camera and said, we need a group photo. And what a great idea. So there'll be, I'll be in a picture, a group photo of the men. And maybe that will be the picture I will use for this podcast. I think it will. I think it will. It's kind of a nice tie-in. Because uh, he'll send that out. And uh, maybe you'll spot my Bongoyetch t-shirt in that picture of this group of uh, very interesting men. So I guess I don't have too much more to say. I know I'm probably rambling, and I'm, I'm really what I'd like to do is crank up the music and just listen to the rest of it, uh, rather than struggling with uh, trying to talk over it with you. I've got a bottle of Sapporo uh, lager, black lager. Uh, I just took out of my uh, fridge. And I'll bring that into the house in case after supper I still feel like having another drink. Um, I keep my beer in the uh, road track fridge. I haven't made up my bed from when I was uh, my last weekend when I traveled east and visited family members. I haven't cleaned the carpet since last summer. I, it's I'm just becoming pretty pathetic when it comes to uh, doing things I should, air quotes, should be doing. But, uh, you know, I mean, I do enough to keep on by. I pay the bills on time. No bills ever. I never pay late fees for anything. You know, it's, I, I, I keep afloat. It's just I could be a, a lot more proactive. I could be doing a lot more things. It did occur to me today that, uh, okay, now you're 75. Maybe now's the time to start writing that book that I never wrote. And yes, I know I put out books of letters and so on, but I, I sometimes think of that as just a primer, just to remind me. And while my brain is still working, because things will come up, like a detail of my friend Charlie in Afoa. This is the village I lived in, and, and what a good guy Charlie was. One of the, the problems I have is I'm not at all good at descriptions. You know when you, when you read a good book, they describe the character. They might take two pages to describe something so that you've got an a- image in your mind of that person. And I'm not good at that at all. I can do what's in my head. I can do the dialogue. I can, ta- I can tell a story about Charlie and me and, uh, or my friend Agbona. That would, that would stand out. The, the guy who sort of became my protector in the village and, and uh, tried to put out the word that if anybody wanted to talk to me, they had to go through him. <laughs> he was a character. He was a guy I drank with a lot. He was, uh, and boy, oh boy, you know, his father was a, um, I was going to say a witch doctor, a medicine man. Uh, I think respected. And I think the son, Agbona, was a bit of a ne'er-do-well, bragging about the number of wives he had. He'd take me to visit them in the different villages and not having money, and he was just around. He seldom ever wore a shirt, but had beautiful brown, dark brown skin, and was a. He just was a nice manner, and he just liked me. We connected. It's so odd, you know, that uh, yeah. So I would go out drinking, take me in. The only time I had a run in was when he, he he drove into a dog in the roadway, like hit a dog, uh, deliberately, intentionally, and and I found out later, of course. Dogs are forbidden in our village and, and uh, were considered, um, uh, you know, there might have been an edict at one point that they bought rabies. or There might have been some reason why they were not supposed to be there. Uh, and I, I didn't like that uh, <laughs> at all. I let him know, too. But, uh, my God, I had a lot of good times with him. Driving me off, taking me and his other friends, like VIP, and people who were... Definitely on the lower end of the scale. We are not talking. These were not teachers. These were just village people. And uh, they kind of adopted me. And they found out, oh, that uh, Oyibo there, that white man likes to drink. We could use him. And uh, I'm thinking, hey, buddies around here always like to have a drink. I could use them. So uh, we had a pretty good relationship going. Oh, here's a song. Bang a gong. Listen to this. I don't love you. 
better thank you okay boy that shows this show is live oh my god anything could happen uh dixon jane's episode 943 i think i announced it as 942 but we already did that one that was last week when i was talking about the Dalai lama saying eat my tongue or yeah something like that um i i'm still following up on that i was trying to defend him and, and i still want to for a lifetime of what I'd like to think was good work and, and care and setting an example. I, I don't know. Um, you know, one, one slip of the tongue, 
cost him his entire reputation, you know, throughout the world, because that's the world we live in today when we judge, oh, so quickly from anything that appears in a video on the Internet. Uh, you know, it just, oh, there's no forgiveness. And um, so I was, I listened to Sam Harris talk about it in his last show, sort of he, because he knew the Dalai Lama and met him many times. It was a garb for him at one point in his younger years. And um, kind of suggested, didn't understand, sort of, you know, he didn't fully defend him, but he was saying he hoped it wasn't the sign, or it possibly might have been an indication of senility or dementia. And that was not reassuring at all, rather than coming out and saying, no, he would never do such a thing and didn't mean it that way at all. He sort of said maybe he just didn't really know what he was doing. Um, but the um, Tibetan community here in Toronto has just been sh so upset by this. I mean, these are his followers, and they're saying, no, that this is, um, the to quote, the phrase, eat my tongue, is often used in these interactions, and said the Dalai Lama likely mistranslated the phrase due to his broken English. Now, that sounds a little... I mean, his English is a bit stilted, um, but maybe, because what was it? The phrase was what he said, lick my tongue or suck my, no, suck my tongue. And they're saying, no, really, really, what he was translating from eat my tongue, which was kind of um, a teasing. I mean, we don't think of it as that way, but now it does say here, and I find this very interesting, the boy and his mother later said in an interview that the interaction was a blessing to them. Now, we've never seen that interview. Uh, and who knows? Because it looked like somebody, a family member, was saying this is outrageous and what goes on behind closed doors. But if the mother and the boy clearly said, no, the, the, you know, nothing bad happened here. I'm really sorry. If, you know, they may be genuinely sorry about the the, you know, the, the, this blow to his reputation. So I don't know. I'm still on the fence about it. I'm still wanting to think that, no, he, he it, it wasn't in an indication that behind closed doors, really bad things happen with uh, little boys and the Dalai Lama. No, no, no. I just don't want to go there. So let's just close that off for now. I'm still, you know, saying, no, there's not enough there to... <coughs> prove he did or he didn't you know <coughs> it's not <coughs> like a bill cosby case which is you know open and closed um hey he did knock those women out and uh, perform did things did naughty things maybe used his weenie i don't know anyway all right moving on trigger warnings now i've made I not even made fun of this. I've been sort of been almost outraged. Oh my God! In university, you have to give trigger warnings before something comes up. And I've always thought that the whole point of university is to shake you up a little bit, make you think, and deal with real life and so on. But the current trend is if something is going to talk about rape or abuse, childhood abuse in particular, or you know could even be cancer, death, I don't know. But if somebody in the, in the a student or somebody who's listening to the lecture could be very upset by that and therefore to make things easier for everybody is let people know in advance. Uh, the same way on television they say, you know, um, this could be disturbing for young children or something, you know, if they're going to show violence or, or talk about a pervert. <laughs> anyway, where were we? Trigger warnings. Um, I go through, and I've mentioned before on my Instagram account, it's it's all cats and cars, cats and cars, cats and cars. But every once in a while, an image will flash by, and it's to do with an animal suffering. Um, or an animal, you know, that in pain or need of something or, or, you know, missing its hind legs or anything, anything. I don't even want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. I'm just that I would like to have some sort of trigger warning in place myself so that I just don't see those things. 
Um, it's, you know, I, I mean, the pictures of the children starving in Biafra way back in 1970. Um, it, it's a horrible thing to see, but it I wouldn't need a trigger warning for that. I could deal with it. There's starvation throughout human history and there will continue to be. But animal suffering, I just, I just, I just don't want to think about it. I don't want it in my head. I don't want to see it. I don't, because it just, it just bothers me so much more deeply. And I don't want to think this makes me a bad person. Oh, you care about animals. You don't care about humans. You know, I know I've mentioned this before, but it's just that I have to go so by so quick and just, I have to erase it from my mind. No, I didn't see that. No, I don't know what it was. I'm not, I'm not interested. No, I just go, go next, next. You know, just, just don't show me. Don't tell me. Some people will get on. They want to tell a story. And I say, look, if this is a story about a cat that's being hurt. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. It's not really that bad. No, don't fucking tell me. Shut up. I can't handle it. All right. So today, a gentleman came by. Uh, poor fellow, boy, he was wheezing and coughing and hacking quite a bit. A little bit. You know, man, he's getting on at his retirement age and has a private business. And this man installs railings and handguards for people in need of it. And he was referred to me by my um, physiotherapist when they came to my house. said, well, I know somebody. And uh, I went straight to him and God, he came, he gave me a quote. I wrote back, see if I can knock 100, 200 off the quote. Uh, he said he couldn't. The quote was for $858 to install a railing going all the full length down to my basement uh, very nicely done, and a silver handrail bar in the brickwork right by my uh, porch so that I can pull myself up or let myself down easily and not lose my balance. Uh, he did both those things today. An absolutely wonderful job. He worked for a company now. This is his own business. He has far too many. He was coming to me after he'd served somebody else, and I'm thinking, hey, man, you got to slow down. Well, tomorrow he's going for back injections for pain, so... Uh, and he said, I've got so much work, I, I couldn't, you know, I just can't do it all. But I'm so glad that I got, you know, I picked up on that, didn't shop around. Oh, maybe somebody could do it cheaper. And everybody's saying, hey, maybe some of your son's friends could put in a railing. There's nothing to putting in a railing. No, no. This guy knew and did a really beautiful job. It's very solid. That thing is not going to come off the wall, either of these things. And I, I was just, I was really glad. I just felt sort of sorry for him because he was... You know, and he lives quite far. He's not from this area. He lives, you know, probably at least an hour's drive away. Um, so anyway, that's it. That's a little change. That, that sort of almost borders on a health issue because these are things that I've had to install for my well-being. So as of um, tonight, if I want, or tomorrow, I can um, go down to the basement again. I haven't been down to the basement in two months. I just cannot risk those stairs. And now... I got a railing. So I haven't tried it yet. That'll be on the next podcast, a test. But uh, in fact, I was going to record from there today, but my wife is in the kitchen cooking zucchini and I, I didn't want my voice carrying upstairs and her wondering what the hell I'm talking about. So I'm here in the road trek. So um, that's about it. Gosh, I really don't have anything else. I didn't have any any um, any notes. I just said, hey, you got 16 minutes, buddy, and now you're at 10 I think I'm going to stop here. I think I'm going to stop and add a, yeah, and I'll add something later on. That's it. Yeah, I'm going to finish tomorrow or tonight or whenever. Scrubber Dude signing out from the uh, road trek. Bye for now. Alrighty, folks. I am back. The uh, sound may be a little different. I'm in the basement. First time in two months. Um, I went down um, using the new railing that uh, was installed today. And uh, yeah, I sort of had one hand on one wall and one hand on the railing. And then when the other wall ran out and became open space, I'm still a little, oh, it's still a little scary for me. I'm not quite used to it. But uh, fortunately, there's my uh, original walker with two wheels and a couple of skis was at the bottom of the stairs. So I could use that to... Uh, get my way into my chair, which is where I'm sitting right now, um, beside my library shelves. My entire 
two shelves of just Kerouac, another shelf of all beats, another shelf of just um, uh, William Burroughs, <laughs> several of which I have not read. He, he can be very difficult to read, especially when he got into the cut-and-paste stuff. And then a very interesting shelf of just psychedelics, and that would be the uh, uh, William Huxley, er, uh, Huxley um, the Aldous Huxley, Carlos Castaneda series, um, the Lee, uh, my, a Zen collection. And then uh, the, below that is my Timothy Leary shelf. So that's just one section. And again, I think about it again, like my children won't want these. And it would be a shame to break it up. I mean, it's years of collecting a lot of old vintage paperbacks here. I think I've got to uh, just turn the whole thing over to a bookshop. It's all right. You take everything and uh, give it all over. And then, you know, just make sure that I pull out the ones that are worth a little more and point those out. And just, you know, I mean, for a few bookshops, you know, some of the good ones, they want to have this Kerouac stuff. I mean, a lot of it's stuff that's hard to get, you know, earlier editions. It'd be people snapping it up. It would sell. I mean, I could do it myself, but I, do I really want to do that? You know, package and mail, set up my own business one by one. I'd, it'd, I'd get more money, but it'd just be a hell of a lot of work. Ah, I really don't know. Anyway, let's not talk about that. It's just that when I come down here, that's the first thing I face. I do have to, now that I've got the railing, come down a little more often, make use of the record player. I'm looking over at my shelf of uh, all the album covers, T-Rex, Dylan, Zabriskie Point, Johnny Cash, uh, Bowie, and uh, Jimi Hendrix. I've talked about that before. My father's old license plates. Ugh. It is a great little place to be, and I just don't make enough use of it um, at all. And uh, maybe that should change, although it's this is the kind of place you should be coming down to in the winter and when the summer comes, although it's cooler in the summer. So, yeah, there's something to be said for that. Ah, what the hell. So this brings another episode of the Dixon Janes podcast to a close, just about. <sighs> I always, you know, would like to end to think that there's somewhere in here there is uh, there is something that was uh, worth sharing that somebody might have picked up. But everybody's different, so you know what's gold to uh, one man is a uh, pile of shit to somebody else. Hey, <sighs> yeah. I don't know. I, I know I have to face up to the changes that will be coming. Like one day I will not have this. And therefore I should be <clears throat> thinking about ways to get rid of it. But it's, it's, yeah. If I could just get rid of the whole fucking collection. I mean, the dream has always been one buyer. Hey, I got a house. I'd love to take over your book collection, you know. Somebody uh, uh, who just ran into a lot of money. And I know these people are out there. It's just making that connection. So, uh, you know, that that would be it. Just give me a check. I, you know, $20,000, it's all yours. Now, of course, some people might want to bicker and say, I'll give you 5000 and I'd have to probably think, yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. Here I am. The Buddha's here. It was good that I had that done today. And uh, just you, you just got to make use of each of the days. You just got to make use of the time you got. Here's a car and driver, July 1999, featuring a beautiful first drive the Chrysler's PT Cruiser. So I'm glad, because I had one of those. I'm glad I've got that edition. You know, so that's the other thing, too, is the magazines. And then all the the vintage books, the old, old ones. And, and oh, I forgot the, the Henry Miller collection. My God, there's a huge Henry Miller collection. Uh, which, and again, a lot of them are hard to find. You know, a lot of stuff that's... 
Uh, that's rare. Anyway, we've said all that. I'm repeating myself. It's just I'm, I'm trying to capture what it feels like to be back here in, in, a, in a place I made. My life's, my life's collections. I haven't even looked at the bar section. This is just the library part of it. And what does it mean? And, and part of me, I'm, I'm, quite honestly, on the first browse around, I really did have the feeling I really don't need any of this stuff. And I don't think it would hurt me all that much not to have any of it. I just want to get rid of it in a responsible, good way so that maybe somebody else will get benefit from this this collection. I, I just don't want this put out, you know, for 25 cents a book at a roadside stand. No. Scarborough Dude signing off. Talk to you next week. Hope, uh, hope, uh, hope, 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 hope you come back. Bye for now. Ding dong.